This episode is brought to you by The Good Feed, natural, ethical and sustainable meals delivered straight to your door. What could be better than that? If you're looking for gluten-free, delicious, chef-inspired yet familiar and comforting dishes, then head to www.goodfeed.co and enter Scott Gooding at checkout to receive $20 off your first order. So head to www.goodfeed.co and enter Scott Gooding at checkout. Happy browsing and of course, happy eating. This episode is brought to you by Holistic Performance Nutrition. If you're looking to further your nutrition study, start a new career, or just learn some cool shit, then HBN is the course for you. HBN offers a range of options for your nutrition study, from foundations of nutrition science, right through to full training courses to become a holistic and performance nutrition coach, or holistic and performance nutritionist. Also, short courses in ketogenic nutrition science, the business of health practice, and functional mycology, and much, much more. Head to holisticperformancenutrition.com and enter GOOD into the coupon code to receive 10% off your course fee. Today I'm joined by Dr. Peter Bruckner, the amazing Dr. Peter Bruckner, I should say. Uh, some of the things he's achieved in his long career is quite outstanding, um, together with the list of um, letters after his name. It's quite quite overwhelming. Uh, he's worked with the Socceroos, the National Swimming Team, the Athletics Team, the National Hockey Team, Liverpool, uh, the Cricket Team, the list goes on and on. Incredible career. Um but it was about seven or eight years ago that he looked at his own health and conducted his own case study on him. And by changing his diet from what was a typical Western diet to a low-carb, real food, no-processed food approach really has taken Peter on a different trajectory. He now flies the flag for low-carb and real food and he is on a mission to reduce sugar by half by his campaign and charity, Sugar by Half. I hope you enjoy the podcast. All right, Peter, thank, thank you so much for, for jumping on this. Um, no, no problems. I've uh, been looking forward to chatting with you for, for a while. Um, I was just having a look on your, your bio on your website. Um, there's quite a lot of letters after your name, Peter. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> You can buy a few of those, you know, they're all right. That was for a long time ago, Scott, a long time ago. Well, well, it's it's, it's quite impressive. But um, I'd like to chat to you initially about your career because you've had quite, you know, further to my point about the letters after your name, you've had a pretty outstanding, illustrious career. Um, So can we we trace back a little bit as to where, where that all started? Yep. Well, um, yeah, I guess if we go right back, uh, sport's always been my main passion, okay? So, you know, when I was a kid, I'd either be playing sport or watching sport or reading about sport and you know, like that. So um, so then, uh, you know, what I really wanted to do when I left school was to become a sports commentator, you know, really uh, I want to be Bruce McAvaney or, you know, uh, um, someone like that. But uh, my mother convinced me that I should do medicine and... Um, so I, uh, you know, I did a medical degree. Um, 
but still, you know, still very involved in sport, playing a lot of sport. You know, I ran the football club at university and I'm still involved there 50 years later and um, that sort of stuff. So um, went off to England, practiced in the Poms for a while, just spent most of my time watching sport um, and then uh, came back and the original plan was to sort of do general practice with an interest in sports medicine, but then over a period of time that sort of evolved into full-time sports medicine and we set up a sports medicine clinic here in Melbourne still going strong and um, I got involved with a number of different teams you know initially with AFL teams and then some national sort of sporting teams um, Olympics Commonwealth Games all that sort of uh, stuff um, and at the same time got very involved in sort of developing sports medicine as a profession and uh, we created a medical specialty out of sports medicine which hadn't been done before um, started from scratch and you know, took us about 15 years to become fully recognised as a medical, especially the same as everything else. So that uh, that was a passion of mine. Um, then, um, yeah, got a bit involved with the academic side of things, doing some research and, uh, and, and writing. I always, I'd always liked writing. And uh, pretty early on in my sports medicine career, I got approached by a publisher to write a, a textbook of sports medicine. I'd written some article somewhere they'd seen and they thought, and at the time I thought, oh, yeah, that's, you know, I'm way too junior and inexperienced uh, to do that and then my colleagues reminded me that I'd basically bagged the hell out of every other sports medicine text that I'd <laughs> written and, uh, and so I, um, I said okay I'll give it a crack and uh, took a year off really and, and wrote this, uh, this textbook and uh, uh-huh. that's become a, uh, you know, a really big, uh, big thing. It's now in its fifth edition and we've right. sold probably 200,000 copies or something. It's basically the, the bible of sports medicine around the world and initially it was just two of us writing it with some colleagues and now it's a whole bunch of people around the world like contributing around the world, so, not, not just yeah. No, no, no. It's uh, it's you know the biggest selling sports medicine book pretty much everywhere. So, so that's been uh, that's been good. Um, so, and so, then, so uh, if it's on its fifth edition, so each each revision is there a need to kind of tweak and take into consideration new, new sort of innovation or research. Oh yeah, a lot of different. Yeah, we do it about every five years or so, and and there's a it's amazing the amount of uh, new information because it's such a, it's a new area, sports medicine, and there's a lot happening. And you know, the first edition we'd probably have about two or three references at the end of every chapter. Now we've got two hundred at the end of every chapter. So you know, it gives you an idea of the sort of explosion in uh, in knowledge and research and so on. So it's getting that balance between you know the research, but also what's practical and you know how you actually do it. So uh, yeah, right. So that's been uh, that's been good. Um, what else? Um, yeah, I worked with, as I said, a bunch of national sporting teams, did athletics for a long time with some Olympic Games and, uh, and so on. And uh, then I got into uh, soccer. Is, is it with a performance-based, um, Peter? Like how, how to recover? Yeah, well, it's performance-based, but it's also uh, medical, you know, injury-based and so on. So, um, you know, sports medicine is sort of a broad church, really. It's uh, traditionally been mainly sort of injuries and uh, preventing injuries and treating injuries, managing injuries. But uh, now we've, we've sort of launched out more into uh, promoting exercise and uh, and so on. And uh, and performance, yeah, is a big side of it. We work with the sports scientists as well and so on. But uh, I've largely been a clinician, you know, just seeing, uh, seeing athletes and helping athletes sort of great and small on, along their way. Um, and then, uh, then I got uh, I took a bit of a break after the Sydney Olympics as the kids were growing up, and I wanted to spend more time at home. And then got uh, got back into uh, Socceroos um, 2007. Did a 
like a four-year World Cup cycle with them, went to the World Cup in South Africa with them, and then uh, got approached to uh, to go to Liverpool uh, in the Premier League. So uh, the, literally the day we finished, day after we finished the Socceroos World Cup in South Africa in 2010, I was on a plane to Liverpool the next, uh, the next day. So uh, that was a fascinating experience in the Premier League. Uh, it's a very different, uh, different world over there. Um, yeah. Actually not as advanced and professional at that time as you would have expected and um not you know compared to afl or nrl uh, well behind in the sports medicine sports science world but, really uh, i think they've caught up uh, they've caught up now but um so that was a great experience love living in liverpool love the whole you know environment and you know, any city that has two passions of football and the beatles can't be a bad uh, can't be a bad city so uh, that was good fun um and then, um, you know, it's funny how sort of things, my, my main sport as a kid was cricket and uh, I just never sort of had an opportunity to work with cricket. I just, you know, I sort of figured, oh, that's right up, you know. Cricket passed me by, other people is, were doing it. And, cricket uh, a sport, Peter? Hmm? Is cricket a sport? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> very, very, that's a very rude thing to say, Scott. Uh, <laughs> um, so anyway, I got a call to, to just do one cricket tour because they were, you know, they were, Short and uh, anyway, I'd finish up into a five uh, five years of uh, of cricket, which uh, traveling around the world and fifty one tests in a row and uh, and so on. So that was a fantastic experience, uh, World Cup and uh, so on. I uh, I finished that uh, three years ago now. Before they had their little uh, indiscretion in South Africa, so clearly they were missing my moral guidance there. And um, and then uh, I guess. Um, which is probably why I'm here talking to you. Over the last uh, eight years now, my emphasis has really changed from my passion for, for sports medicine and injuries and so on into uh, an interest in nutrition. And uh, that's been a really big uh, a big change for me. I've, I've sort of run the two lives in parallel, if you like, the, uh, the, my real job and, and my, my passion for, uh, for nutrition. And, um, yeah, that's another story. But, uh, yeah, that's what I've been doing of late. And what was the, the genesis um, for that focus on nutrition? Because, you know, um, rightly or wrongly, doctors generally get a bad sort of reputation as to, to their focus on nutrition. Um, so, yeah, I'm kind of interested as to, to how that came about. Yeah, well, I'd, I'd been a bit interested in nutrition from a, from a performance point of view, you yeah. know, uh, but it had become pretty boring. It was all just about carbs and carbs and, you know, pasta parties the night before the marathon and Gatorade and Powerade and, you know, that was, uh, that was it. So I'd sort of lost a bit of interest in that. So I was back in 2012. I was in Liverpool. Um, and at the time, if you'd sort of asked me, you know, how was I, how was my health, you know, uh, uh, I'd have said, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm fine. I, I just turned 60. You know, I was um, hadn't had any had significant illnesses, didn't take any medication. You know, I was I was, you know, I was pretty good. The reality was, I was probably wasn't quite as healthy as I as I thought I was. Uh, for a start, I had a family history of type two diabetes. So my dad had developed type two diabetes at exactly that age, and I, you know, I was pretty wary of the fact that I didn't want to go down that track because I saw what uh, what it did to him. I was uh, overweight, borderline obese. You know, like many sort of middle aged men and and you know, I consider 60 middle-aged. I used to think it was elderly, but now I think it's middle-aged. Um, like many middle-aged men, I, I'd probably put on half a kilogram a year for 30 years. You know, just gradually just getting a little bit thicker around the, the girt to the point where my kids are starting to, starting to poke me in the guts and say, you know, come on, Dad. And, and I'd shrug my shoulders and say, well, hang on a minute. You know, I'm on a, 
on the right diet. I'm on a low-fat you know, diet and I exercise and I do everything right. You know, I still kept getting, uh, getting fatter. I'd also had some uh, blood tests that weren't great. I had a fatty liver. Um, I'd had that for 10 years. Every blood test I'd had, you know, would come back saying, you know, consistent with fatty liver. I didn't really understand what a fatty liver was. I figured I was on a low-fat diet. Like most doctors, I just ignored it. And, um, and I had high triglycerides and, and high insulin and so on. So, you know, the reality is I wasn't probably quite as healthy as I, as I could have been. And, and in retrospect, I was clearly pre-diabetic. I mean, I, you know, fatty liver disease is, is pretty well recognised as a precursor to diabetes. And I have no doubt that had I continued on in that way, I'd be a fully-fledged diabetic like my father was so uh, so um in 2012 i uh I, i'm old, an old friend of tim noakes uh no doubt that name resonates with you tim's a, a sports scientist very highly regarded and tim and i have been friends for probably 30 years you know we, we're on the sort of speaking circuit together and you know pop up at conferences and usually get involved in you know big discussions about cricket or rugby or something but Tim's a super smart guy. And around that time, he started uh, talking about the fact that he felt maybe we were wrong, you know, that we've been uh, had this focus on fat and that actually it was carbohydrates that the problem. And he had his own experience where he had developed type 2 diabetes despite a supposedly very healthy diet and running lots of marathons and ultra marathons and so on. And he changed his diet and immediately had a massive impact on his health. And I thought, oh, gee, that's... That's weird. Now, Tim's had some weird ideas over the years, most of which have been proven right. But I thought, no, nah, he's finally, you know, lost the plot this time. <laughs> he's really, uh, he's really lost it. And um, but it didn't, you know. And I, as I said, I admire his uh, his intellect. So it made me sort of explore things a little bit. And I I bought uh, Gary Taubes' book, um, Good Calories, Bad Calories, and uh, this book just blew me away. I mean, I just could not believe what I was, what I was reading it. Because not only does it, did it talk about, you know, the relative merits of fats and carbohydrates, but it talked about the politics, mm-hmm. how it all sort of happened, how the low fat movement sort of won out over the low sugar movement back in the you know, 60s and 70s and so on. And I remember I'd put this book down at night and I'd sort of say, nah, this couldn't be right. Like, this couldn't be right. We couldn't, the whole of Western society couldn't have had this nutrition thing wrong for the last, you know, 40 years, it, you know, nah, that, that couldn't happen. And the more I read, the more I thought, Jesus, you know, I mean, I think there's, there's something in this. And so I dived into everything I could get my hands on, every article, every book I, uh, and every video. Um, and the more, I, the more I looked, the more I, uh, I realised, you know, yeah, there's, there's something to this, you know, we've actually had this thing wrong. So I thought, now I'm a scientist, okay, so I need to do some science and do some research into this. Uh, but as a scientist, I also knew that research with an N equals one is a waste of time, except when the one is you, in which case, you know, it becomes very important. So I decided it was time for an N equals one experiment. So I put myself uh, on a, uh, a low-carb, healthy-fat diet for three months. So day one, I got all my bloods done, weighed myself, everything like that, went on this pretty, you know, I mean, reasonably strict, low-carb, healthy-fat Diet, sort of probably in retrospect, it would be a ketogenic diet. It wasn't sort of, didn't talk about keto much in those days, but it was, um, so it was, you know, no processed food, no sugar, no starches, no pasta, rice, bread, you know, potato, all that usual stuff. And basically replaced that with real food. You know, probably went back to the way my grandparents uh, would have eaten, you know, just uh, meat mm. and fish and uh, eggs, you know, and uh, you know, we've been told for years we shouldn't have eggs, all that cholesterol. And, 
full fat dairy and you know all that uh, you know butter instead of margarine and and so on and and lots of green veg and um, cut back on fruit just only had berries uh, nuts seeds olive oil that sort of stuff so um, so that three months um, was just amazing um, I lost uh, thirteen kilograms in thirteen weeks wow. the weight just sort of poured off me uh, without never being hungry you know I. I, uh, I stopped being hungry, you know. So instead of eating three meals and three snacks a day, I just went down to two meals a day and, and you know, I'd have a handful of nuts in the middle of the day. And uh, mm. so stopped being hungry, lost weight, had more energy, slept better, stopped snoring, ran better, um, concentrated better. You know, it was it was amazing. Um, if you told me uh, if you told me all those things could happen by just changing your diet, I'd have laughed in your face. Yeah. Did you find that... Um are you arming yourself with the information, reading and, and um, researching as best you could? And then when you were ready to dive in with the, the um, case study, I guess, yep. did you find that transition fairly easy? Because the way I, the way I see adhering to a, to a healthy lifestyle, you need to understand, first of all, the, the principles and the foundation, but then you have to contend with what I call the intangibles, which is your cravings, your perhaps addictions, habits, all those sort of intangible things that can kind of interfere with the adherence long term. So did you have to wrestle with some of that? Like the, the, the Yeah, I didn't I didn't have cravings so much, but what I did have, I just was hard to get my head around the fact that it was okay to eat fat. You know, yeah. I've been in a generation where for thirty or forty years we've been told fat was bad. You know, I remember going on a Pritikin diet, you know, no fat at all like thirty, forty years ago, you know. Um so I guess I've always been interested in diet. But anyway, um, yeah, I mean, that was the hardest thing, you know, that you could actually have, you know, eggs. You didn't have to trim the, the, the fat off your meat. You could have egg, as many eggs as you like. You could have butter instead of margarine and full-fat cream and full-fat milk rather than, you know, skim milk and all that sort of stuff. That was yeah. that was hard to get my head around, um, yeah. you know. Um, and you've been told something's right for 30 years, you know. It, it's not easy just to sort of toss all that out the, out the window. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, so then at the end of that three months, uh, as I said, I lost 13 kilograms. Um, you know, my blood tests were amazing. I mean, my fatty liver that I'd had for 10 years completely resolved, mm. absolutely back to normal. My triglycerides came down by half. Mm. My insulin came down to normal. Um, all these things sort of uh, happened. It was quite, uh, quite amazing. The one negative was I had to get a new wardrobe. Was, uh, I <laughs> All my trousers are sort of, you know, been sitting out here and that stuff. Anyway, I figured that was a small price to pay. So so I guess once I, you know, had that personal experience on top of all the reading I've been doing, I thought, ah, oh, this is, you know, this is the way it is. Um, we actually have got this wrong. So I guess when you have a discovery like that, you've got two choices. You know, you either just sit on it yourself and say, oh, you know, have a little smile on your face and say, well, you know, I'm right. Yeah. Or you sort of feel as though you have a bit of an obligation to, to – tell the world about your experiences. And, uh, and that was me. I, I sort of thought, I just can't keep this to myself. You know, I mean, I've, I've made this discovery. I know I wasn't the first person, obviously, to make the discovery. But, uh, um, you know, I thought, well, I could influence you know, some people, hopefully. Um, and uh, so I started talking about it, writing about it, uh, every opportunity I had. Well, for a start, people would talk to me because they'd see I'd lost all this weight. You know, yeah, say, Jesus, you know, what have you done? <laughs> and uh, I think half of them thought I had cancer or something, you know, <laughs> so I'd, uh, all of a sudden I was half the man I used to be. But, um, 
yeah, so people ask you, you know, and then they get curious and you start talking and you start be, becoming an advocate for it. And, uh, yeah, so I became very passionate. I continued to read everything I get my hands on. I still do probably an hour or two every day, just new articles and new books. And, you know, I've got a million books and you know, so on half of which I haven't got around to reading. But there's this great uh, keto diet cookbook that I've got here. You know, that's... Uh, oh, that's that. uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, so... Uh, then about uh, three years ago, I was chatting to some people and we were bemoaning the fact that everyone was very confused about diet. You know, there were all these different diets out there. And, uh, we, you know, for years we thought we knew what we should be eating. And now there was, you know, paleo and Atkins and, you know, Mediterranean and low carb. And, you know, people were becoming, lots of people would be saying to me, well, I'm just confused about what I should be eating. So I sort of made this sort of off off the cuff suggestion that maybe we should just focus on on one thing and you know get that right. And, uh, and the obvious thing to, <clears throat> to focus on was sugar, because that's the one thing that everyone agrees on. Even the dietitians agree on sugar, so that must be obvious. And um, so we set up. Uh, I sort of talked about you know setting up a campaign to reduce sugar, and uh, and people said yeah, great idea. And I went around the country and spoke to a whole bunch of uh, bunch of people who were in that sort of sphere, and everyone said well. Yeah, good idea. So we set up a, like a charity campaign called Sugar by Half uh, three or four years ago. And uh, as you would know, because you were good enough to come to uh, to our launch, our Facebook Live uh, launch, Scott, which we uh, appreciated, um, our aim is to reduce the amount of added sugar by, by 50%. So uh, I think I always think campaigns should have a, an aim. So if Sugar by Half, the average Australian has probably 15, 16 teaspoons of added sugar a day. The World Health Organization recommends no more than six. Uh, you know, that was never my strong point, but, you know, that's roughly half. And um, if we can get down to that. So I firmly believe that if we were to, let's say in our wildest dreams, we were to be successful in getting that, uh, that sugar intake down by half. I can't think of any other intervention in, in the country that would have as big an effect on, uh, on people's health. So... So we're having a crack at that. We've got uh, we've been working hard on that for the last few years. Uh, we've got an education program going. We've got a corporate program. We've got a schools, uh, um, schools seeing a sporting club seeing, and we're working on a uh, on a diabetes program at the moment that uh, that we're pretty excited about, and uh, we're going to launch at the end of the year. And uh, we really want to have an impact on uh, on people with uh, especially with type two diabetes, but all all chronic diseases really. And uh, there's a lot of evidence now coming from. From the states and from from uh, the UK, that you can actually put diabetes into remission with a with a low carb diet, and that's what we want to we want to do. It's uh, yeah, diabetes is a massive problem in this country. Yeah, for sure. Have you, have you engaged uh, diabetes the association with diabetes in Australia? Uh, well, they're a little bit uh, they're a little bit difficult to uh, to do. We have spoken to them, and uh, but uh, they're very much wedded to uh, to big pharma and uh, and big food. And, uh, you know, while they, they're prepared to acknowledge uh, sugar, they're not prepared to acknowledge the effect that uh, carbohydrates and starches have on, uh, on blood sugars. And, no, um, it's on that fairly recently, and it's just, it's actually astounding, the recommendations. The recommendations they're making, it's, it's almost like fueling diabetes rather yeah. than... It's, it's guaranteeing you'll have diabetes for life. You know, yeah. I mean, you, you go on the record with the standard. I mean, that's the most bizarre thing. You know, I mean, uh, you know, there are a lot of really smart people in medicine, but, you know, we, we disengage our brain sometimes. And when you think about what is diabetes, diabetes is an intolerance to carbohydrates. Okay. Everyone agrees with that. Mm. 
So what is the recommended diet for uh, for diabetes? A high carbohydrate diet. Mm. I mean, duh, you know, as our kids would say. I mean, you know, we'd be so obsessed about fat, you know, much of the obsession with uh, with fat and the dangers of fat, much of which is based on uh, on fraudulent science, really, mm. um, that people have totally lost sight of the fact that it's pretty simple. Yeah. If you're not tolerant to something, don't have it. Yeah, you know, if you if you're an alcoholic, don't have alcohol. If yeah. you're a if you're a got celiac disease, don't have gluten. I mean, and yet, you know, we we encourage diabetics to have high levels of carbohydrate. We say, oh, just take more medication or take more insulin. I mean, it is just insanity, and um, how people can't see that it's just it's beyond. Uh, I mean, look, and and I was just as guilty for thirty years of my medical career. I was exactly the same. So I'm I'm no better than anyone else. Um, I just uh, eventually woke up as, to it. As a governing body, um, which would probably be the first port of call with, for many people who get recently diagnosed pre-diabetic or, di- you know, full-blown diabetes, that would be, right, where do I need to go to? Where do I need to, to, to get a firm understanding of what I've been diagnosed with? Mm. So it's, it's just, yeah, mind-blowing, really. Is there, evidence, <laughs> is there evidence that that association does have... Um, you know, a conf- you know, a interest in pharma, like. Oh well, yeah. Look, I mean, I think uh, yeah. you know, pharmaceutical country companies, food companies—they're uh, they're major sponsors of most of the medical organisations. So many of them are compromised. They'll deny it adamantly that they're compromised, but uh, you know, of course they are. Um, and uh, you know, and, but also it's just that um, you know we're very reluctant as, as a medical profession to to change our mind on things. You know, I mean. Uh, Someone once said, you know, 50% of everything you get taught in medical school turns out to be wrong. You just have to work out which 50%. And yet the majority of us stick to what we were taught in medical school as if it was uh, gospel because it's taught to us as gospel, you know. Um, and, uh, and much of it is proven to be, uh, to be wrong, but uh, we're very reluctant to change. And look, I, you know, I get that. I mean, if you spent your life, you know, you have 30, 40, 50 years of your, of your career telling people one thing and then all of a sudden some – Yobbo uh, sports doctor comes and says, you know, well, actually, you're wrong. I mean, of course, you're going to, you know, uh, react to that and, uh, and and be you know, aggressive, defensive, and so on. But uh, it's very sad, and it, the the damage it's doing to people in uh, in this country and around the world. I mean, you know, the the diabetes. I mean, okay, we you know we're worried about coronavirus epidemic, you know, and there's you know a few million people with it around the world. I mean, there's 450 million people with type two diabetes in the world, you know. Now, are we going to shut down the you know the, the country to uh, solve that problem? Kills a lot more people than coronavirus does, and yet you know we completely uh, ignore it. In fact, we fuel it by giving the wrong advice. It's just uh, so frustrating, and uh, and and it just gets me very very angry, as you can probably tell. <laughs> well, it's the wrong advice, and couple that with the landscape that we live in. You know, you go to your local cafe, you go to your service station, your airport. The, you know your local restaurant it's it's a high carbohydrate landscape yeah and so absolutely. yeah there's there's a lot to contend with I, I just wonder whether when you started flying the flag you know after your own personal case study and reading what you you read and you started being the advocate for a lower carb higher fat diet you know assuming you know this was a few years ago did you did you experience a bit of pushback from the community um, yeah, I did. Um, you know, some of my medical colleagues uh, stopped talking to me. Um, <coughs> Excuse me. Um, 
but look, not as much as some other people have. Um, like but, your um, yeah, I mean, like, you know, people like Yari Fetke and, and so on, who uh, have obviously been uh, crucified for their uh, mm-hmm. for their position, really. Um, and uh, you know, it just shows you how you know sad the whole situation is, and people are just like, clinging to their uh, to their long held beliefs and trying to take down people who challenge those beliefs. I mean. You know, we're supposed to be taught in medicine to sort of to think about things and to and to constantly be challenging, uh, you know, new ways of doing or better ways of doing things and so on. And yet, there's this, in, you know, there's this reaction to uh, take down anyone who challenges. And and you know, there's a lot, as you know, there's a lot of good science, good scientific evidence to show that um, that you know a low carb diet is is preferable to a low fat diet. And yet. You know, even the people who do the guidelines refuse to look at the, refuse to even look at that issue. You know, it's uh, it's very sad, and um, it's really held back the country and the health of the country. And uh, but you know, they're very powerful enemies. You know, you you go to the government and say, well, you we, we know, we need to change your diet, and the government says, well, you know, all my medical people tell me that it's okay, and all my dietitian people tell me it's okay, and you think, well, you know, what that, chance you got? Still lag, isn't there? I think. You know, you've got the innovators, you've got the, the people at the pointy end of the, the arrow that make change and, and sort of probably get a bit of pushback in that initial phase. But, you know, those sort of institutions, the government, the, the governing bodies will probably come to the party, but it might be 5, 10, 15 years down the track. And which yeah, I'm sure that the dietitians will, will, will tell us all along that they've been in favour of a low carb diet. You know, actually, <laughs> so <laughs> uh, no doubt. Yeah, um, I'm also interested because, and this comes from a, I, I guess, me personally, I was sort of entrenched. I was knee deep in that paleo movement, um, and so part of that was this abolition of certain food groups, I'm sure you're aware of that, one of those yep. being dairy. And I, although I don't sort of talk about paleo anymore, it's about, to your point, about real food, whole, whole foods. I still, um, when I prescribe, when I speak to most of my clients, it's, it's keeping dairy to a minimum. I personally have butter and ghee and the occasional goat, goat's, um, feta or, 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 or sheep's and so when I when I post about a recipe I'll never include dairy other than butter and ghee because to me there's all these caveats and you don't always get the opportunity to speak about those caveats in a Instagram post let's say you know not all dairies created equally and um, uh, depends where your starting point is in health as to whether it's a good thing for you or not. Yep. So I'm interested to hear um, your stance on dairy, actually. Well, the first thing is that there's no one diet for everyone. You know, I think, uh, you know, we're all different and we all have different things that agree with us and don't agree with us. You know, I think there is a significant number of people that dairy doesn't agree with. There's the lactose intolerant people. Uh, there's the people who have a dairy sort of sensitivity, if you like, to uh to, to one of the dairy proteins. So that's a, a reasonable number of people who tell you, you know, since they were a kid, they've never really been comfortable with, uh, with dairy. Um, on the other hand, I think, you know, if you tolerate dairy quite well, I don't have a problem with, uh, with dairy at all. I mean, I have uh, full fat milk and uh, yogurt, uh, some cream, 
some butter, cheese, They're not massive amounts, but I'll uh, I'll have it as a normal sort of uh, amount. And it's, it seems I seem to be able to tolerate that okay. Um, and it certainly doesn't worry me from a saturated fat point of view or a cholesterol point of view. I think it's been shown very clearly over the last few years that dairy is actually, intake is actually associated with improved health rather than uh, negative health. All the studies seem to point that uh, direction. So I think it's really a, an individual thing, a personal thing. I mean, it's, it's the same way with uh, with nightshade vegetables or lectins or, you know, these sort of things. I mean, there are, you know, even with gluten. I mean, not that I have really any, any gluten, but, you know, I think there are some people who... Uh, who are particularly sensitive to certain uh, certain foods, and and we're all different, and and you've got to find your own your own uh, thing. And I I don't uh, you know I don't sort of push one particular diet, or, you know, a paleo or an Atkins or a this or that. I mean, uh, you know, like you, I mean, I I think the reason they're all successful is that they're basically removing processed food and replacing it with real food, and yeah. the actual sort of minor variations on that are probably not that important um you know they're, they're right for you but the principle is if you can get rid of processed food and replace it with real food yeah. by definition you reduce the amount of carbs yeah. you reduce your uh your, you know your vegetable oils and your sugars and your processed uh, carbs and you replace them with with real food then you can't go wrong yeah <laughs> really and uh, <laughs> that's why I, you know i think all those all those diets work i'm not going to say that paleo is better than atkins is better than mediterranean i mean because you know, it depends on a whole bunch of things, and uh, it also depends on on how you know what your metabolic health is like. You know, there's we're all on a spectrum. You know, I mean, there's one end there's your your type two diabetes or your uh, you know your morbidly obese or whatever. You know, and they've probably got to be on the on the you know the tough end of the spectrum. You know, down to virtually no carbs and get their you know get their metabolism under control. Right. But then if you're you know twenty years old, healthy, fit, young, you know. Um, insulin sensitive you can have you know probably 100 you know 120 grams of carbs and, and be fine but no one should be having the, the 300 grams of carbs that most australians are, uh, are having yeah. at, uh, at the moment yeah um i think that's probably why um people are getting such great results on the carnivore diet um, exactly. because your, your your food group eliminates immediately um all those sort of processed foods and high carbohydrates and so people make the leap that it's it's the protein it's the animal that's doing me good and it's like well yes but it's also the negative space in terms of what you're not eating which is probably where the gold is really yeah my carnivore diet is really an old-fashioned elimination diet you know yeah. which we, we you know if people had food allergies we'd we'd put them on this elimination diet take everything out of it and put them on basics and uh and then gradually reintroduce uh, things. And, and that's what uh, I encourage people to do if they want to go on a carnivore diet. I mean, to be honest, when I first heard about carnivore diet, I said, well, no, that's ridiculous. You know, I mean, there's all these, you know, lovely vitamin C deficient and all these other different things. And yet the more I look into it, you know, there are obviously a lot of people out there doing really, really well on a carnivore diet. I mean, there's mm -hmm. no doubt about that. And uh, especially those with uh, autoimmune disease and significant sort of uh, chronic metabolic health issues seem to, many of them, not all, but many of them seem to thrive on a carnivore diet. And really, if you'd, if you'd told me that a few years ago, I'd have, I'd have you know, said no way. Um, but the proof, you know, proof's in the pudding. And and people have been on it long enough now to know there's no long-term consequence to the carnivore diet. Um, so, you know, I'll often encourage people who've tried different sort of things to uh, to try a carnivore diet, particularly those with, you know, significant autoimmune issues, 
Um, and usually they'll get significant uh, help from that. And then, you know, I tell if you want to try introducing, you know, some, some green veg or some uh, something, you know, just see how you go. And uh, some of them will, you know, be on a modified or carnivore-ish diet, as someone described it, and others will go back to hardcore uh, carnivore. And, and again, some carnivores have dairy, some have fish, some have, you know, so it, there's a lot of variation. And I think you've got to find what's right for, uh, for you. I'm convinced there's a diet out there that's right for everyone. Yeah. And it's a matter of uh, finding it. It's generally going to be low-carb, real food. But the yeah. exact dimensions of it are variable. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's got to work for you. Else, the um, if, if the parameters are too firm and they don't work to your lifestyle, then it's going to be a short-lived exercise, really. Yeah, it's got to be sustainable. I mean, uh, you know, it's all very well. I mean, we can tell everyone to get on an 800-calorie-a-day diet and they'll lose weight and they'll have a lot of good things happen to them. But... You know, as we know, it's just not sustainable. So, yeah. you know, the, the attractive thing about sort of the low carb sort of stuff is that it's sustainable because you can eat really well and really enjoy your food. I mean, I, I love my food, you know, and uh, I want to enjoy every meal that I uh, that I have, and, and I do. And uh, I can do that on a low carb. I don't think I could do that on an eight hundred calorie a day uh, diet. No. I'd be uh, I'd be hangry, you know, hungry and angry. <laughs> I wouldn't be nice to live with. <laughs> But I, I think this movement that you, or the campaign of the charity, the Sugar by Half, is a really smart approach because there's just so much confusion, confusion within that um, diet world. You know, we've spoken about paleo and low carb and carnivore just in the last you know five minutes. And yeah. so I, I always think about this um, this person who, for whatever reason, maybe they've they've just got a, a health scare and been told to you know watch their health, so they. They Google, you know, best diet for weight loss or for health or yeah. even exercise plan for that for that matter. Um, and the amount of information they'd be bombarded with, some of it conflicting, some of it complementing, you just wouldn't know where to start. But but the one thing that we can all agree on is is the sugar thing and how how sugar has infiltrated our our landscape. Um, but again, it comes down to, and it's easy to understand, you can wrap your head around the sugar by half thing. But then I guess it's dealing with those intangible factors, the cravings, the, the hormonal um, dialogue that's going on that's sort of counterintuitive almost to, to the diet that you're on because your, your hormones, your physiology is urging you to, to reach out for that sugary snack, whatever it is. Um, and so, yeah, there's definitely that. But I, th I think um, I think it's a smart move. I think it's it's an easy. It's also, it's also the, all the hidden sugars around, you know, that people are just not yeah. aware of. You know, I mean, we all get, you know, putting two spoons of sugar in our coffee, and most people get the soft drink sort of thing. And uh, but you know, we we grew up thinking that uh, fruit juice was healthy, you know, yeah. and yet it's you know it's basically sugar and water. You know, they take all the good stuff out of the fruit and leave the sugar and water. Yeah. We grew up thinking that. Um, you know, sports drinks were healthy, you know, and again, they're just, just sugar and water. We grew up thinking that uh, flavoured yogurts were healthy, you know, full of sugar. Um, usually bars, you know, all these sort of things that, uh, you know, tomato sauce and you know, barbecue sauce, you know, well, you know, they're healthy, you know, yet full of sugar. So, you know, I think a lot of it is awareness of, of where sugar is. I mean, clearly sugary drinks are the biggest single factor, especially among young people. But, uh, you know, it's pretty much every processed food 
has uh, has sugar in it. You know, and uh, Do you see much change coming from top down. So so bottom up is is you and I talking about this to our clients and our community and and helping people gain awareness of where these sugars are. But I feel like those those big manufacturers, big producers, you know, the Nestle's of this world, the Kellogg's. If, through my lens, they should have a greater duty of care, um, you know, because their only their only duty is to their shareholders. Yeah, that's 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 the business world. So you don't that's think only you don't have an opti- optimistic view that if there's enough dialogue from the ground up, enough people talking about this low sugar, the the the, the negative health implications of eating sugar, that they won't that message won't seep into their... Oh, they, they will respond commercially because they'll yeah. see, oh, there's some, uh, there's some money in low-sugar products here. So they'll promote the fact that they're... Uh, but, you know, there's a lot of parallels with the tobacco campaign. Mm-hmm. And what did it take? 40 years? Mm-hmm. From the time that people started showing that tobacco was harmful and the tobacco industry fought that and denied that and obscured that, uh, that fact. And the food industry acts in exactly the same way. And has the same motivation. It's just uh, it's just money. Um, so you know, until there's such demand from below, as you say, from people who are you know are finding out about this, learning you know the hard way, uh, what uh, what the right way to eat is, then eventually the, the food manufacturers will respond in in the same way that when we told them to take fat out of food, you know, 40 years ago, they responded and uh, everything was low fat, you know, yeah. almost they replaced it with sugar. But, you know, that, that's not their fault. <laughs> we, we, yeah. we told them to take the fat out. Yeah. And uh, there'll come a point where it'll be commercially advantageous to have a whole bunch of, uh, of low sugar, low carbohydrate foods. But we haven't got to that point yet. Um, I think the first manufacturer that really takes it on will do very well. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it's disappointing it hasn't happened uh, yet because... You know, they're doing very nicely at the moment. Thank you very much. So why would they change? Yeah, that's right. Um, so, so what's on the agenda next for Sugar by Half, Peter? Well, as I said, we're, we're really working on this, uh, on this diabetes uh, program. There are a couple of uh, programs both in the, in the UK and the US that have been very successful um, in, uh, in reversing you know, up to 50% of, uh, of cases of, of diabetes, uh, type 2 diabetes, and, and in the other 50%, you know, reducing their medication and their need for insulin and so on. So uh, it's been shown very clearly that, that a low-carb program uh, works. So we're really working hard on developing uh, an app and a website with, uh, you know, massive amount of uh, resources that will just make it very easy for people who uh, want to, to make that sort of change to uh, take them on that journey and, um, yeah, that's going to be ready uh, by the end of this year. Uh, in November, we're hoping to release that. And um, I think that's going to be really exciting. And uh, because a lot of people sort of say to me, well, you know, where can I go? What can I look, you know? And, and you know, there's obviously lots of books around and so on. But, you know, a, a program that will take them through uh, through the, the journey, I think, is, uh, is really important. And then we continue to uh, – we're working with uh, – with education people to develop uh, classes for schools. So mm. school teachers can have access through Cool Australia to uh, a whole bunch of uh, very clever lessons on sugar and shopping and, and working out how much sugar is in things. And they're very, very clever the way they go about it. Um, we have a corporate program that's sort of ready to go called Hit Sugar for Six, uh, drawing on my cricket background. <laughs> and, um, um, and, and companies, uh, it's all been on hold now, obviously, because of, uh, of COVID. Uh, but 
you know, what that was uh, all ready to go. We had our first one in, in place here. So that we're hoping to develop uh, that. So lots of things. Um, you know, obviously, you know, we, we don't have a lot of funding and uh, we, you know, we get by by people putting a lot of time and effort into it. But, um, you know, hopefully we'll have a, We'll have an impact, and, we, and that's what we all want to do. Uh, we all want to have an impact and uh, and make a difference, and uh, that's what I'm certainly focused on doing for the rest of my my time. And uh, you know, I'm sure it's the same with you, Scott. You know, you sort of get a, you feel as though you bash your head against a brick wall, and then then you get an email as you do every couple of days saying, you know, oh, you know, I had this and I had that, and you know, I was uh, I was in the coffee queue at, at university recently. A girl came up to me and said, "Oh, Dr. Brooklyn," and I said, "Yeah," and she said, "Oh." She said, uh, oh, I enjoyed your lecture. I said, oh, well, that's, that's good, you know. And she said, oh, but that's not what I want to talk to you about. I said, oh, God, you know, what have I done here? <laughs> and she said, my husband and I are massive cricket fans. And because of you, back in 2014, we changed our diet. Mm. And uh, my husband's been bipolar all his life. And uh, he's now off all medication. And uh, you've changed our life. You've changed our lives. And I just want to say thank you. Amazing. And you think, whoa, you know. Um, no one ever said that about me fixing their ankle or their, their knee or anything like that. So, you know, and then every couple of days you get yeah, that, someone who uh, who contacts you and uh, and you know says they read your book or heard your YouTube lecture or something like that. So, you know, that makes it uh, you know it makes you feel well maybe what we're doing is not uh, a waste of time after all. And I'm sure you have exactly the same experience sure, yourself. Sure, Scott. sure. I mean, sometimes it's a bit of a an echo chamber. It's you know me talking to someone like you and we're all singing from the same hymn sheet. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Put something out into the universe and you don't get anything back. But every now and again, you you hear from a client or or someone that you you don't know from a bar of soap who expresses gratitude because they've you know, our advice has helped them in various different ways. So that kind of, that's enough to keep you going. I think it's enough to put fuel in the, in the belly. Yeah, exactly. And you know that, you know, this makes a difference. I mean, you know, I, I, there's nothing else that I could do in medicine, no drug, no nothing I could do that would make as big a difference as this. And so it's a no-brainer for me uh, that I'll, I'll do everything I can to get this message out there. Yeah, good on you, Peter. Peter, I, I would just love to leave with, um, let's go back to that um, person that I described a second ago who's just got a health um, scare. Um, let's say it's a, a lady in her mid 40s, um, never done exercise, never followed a, a, a health plan of any description, but she needs to lose weight, she needs to get healthy. Um, what would be your three starting points for, for her? Well, I would uh, get her to uh, open up her pantry, get a big garbage bag, and just sweep out everything that's in a packet or a can or uh, and so on, and uh, Go down to the, uh, the supermarket or the shopping centre, and just fill a shopping basket with fresh food, with fresh food, you know, with real food. Um, you know, I think uh, the old story of you know sticking to the outside of the supermarket, not the uh, not the middle aisles, because all the good stuff's on the outside and so on. So, I think you know, real food rather than processed food. If, if there's just one single message, it's just it's JERF, J-E-R-F, just eat real food and. Yeah. Uh, that you know by itself makes a massive difference. Now that's not easy because yeah. you know, you know where uh, you know, the advertising and the promotion and, and everything it's uh, it's very difficult to, to do and, that. But and that's, the cost too is also um, absolutely. And you, but you can eat you know real food on a yeah. on a budget. There's no doubt about it. You know uh, 
Um, sure, you know, if you want to eat cheaply, you just go to Macca's every night or something like that. But, uh, you know, if you're smart the way you go about uh, eating, you know, vegetables and, and berries in season and, uh, you know, you don't have to have fillet steak every night. You know, you can have different cuts of meat and uh, so on. So, you know, there's definitely uh, – and you're smart the way you cook and you can cook for a week, you know, do all your cooking on the weekend and do your shopping, you know, go to the go to the market when it's about to close and get all the bargains. You know, there's lots of ways you can uh, – you can do that. So I think that's a single, uh, you know, single most important thing. I think exercise is important, not so much for weight loss. I think weight loss is largely um, diet, particularly in men. In women, there's probably more of a role for exercise than my gut feel. Um, in men, I'd say diet is 90% of weight loss and and, uh, and uh, exercise 10%, whereas women, it's, it's, you know, I don't know, maybe 60 or 70% diet and, and more exercise so but again you know explanation to that discrepancy or well it, it's hard to know i mean i'm sure you know you would agree scott that every single male that you put on a low carb diet loses weight mm. you know you, you you really never have a failure mm. you know um and and very easily usually you know That's half to a kilogram a week every week that they're on the diet you know till they get back to to normal Women, not nearly as consistent. Mm. Um, you know, they won't, some of them will do exactly the same, but some will lose half that amount. I mean, when I went on my diet, you know, for that 13 weeks, my wife did the same thing. She lost half what I, I had. Pissed her off. I had to stop telling her how much weight I was losing because she was getting more and more pissed off. And I don't blame her. Yeah. Oh, I know, yeah. Happy wife, happy life, you know. Anyway, um, so, but, um, but exercise has got a lot of other benefits, you know, as well as, uh, as weight loss. And, uh, and for people with diabetes or chronic disease, you know, exercise is a really important uh, thing. So I think that's, uh, that's the number two. You know, obviously diet is number one by a long way. Get that right and you're, and you're pretty much there. But exercise is important. And then, uh, then the, uh, the S's. I'll make an equal third, you know. So sleep, stress and sun, okay? Really important to get good sleep. And interestingly, if you stop eating crap, you sleep a lot better. It's amazing. The difference it made to my, my sleep and right. I stopped snoring. I used to have a lot of trouble with snoring and, uh, and sleep apnea and so on. Completely went away as soon as I went on this uh, diet and lost the weight. So sleep's important. Stress, I think, you know, really important. Uh, uh, hard to lose weight when you're stressed and, um, and just generally hard to resolve your metabolic issues. And sun, I think sun is really underrated. Get out in the sun as much as you possibly can. Don't get burnt, but uh, yeah, we've gone way too far the other way with this obsession about uh, covering up and so on, and oh. to the point now where we just don't get enough vitamin D and, and uh, nitric oxide and all the good things that sun. So I try and get out whenever the sun comes out, which at this time of the year in Melbourne is not that often, but uh, certainly you know try and get out in the sun as much as possible. So yeah, so diet, exercise, and then the three S's. Beautiful. It's a cheat's way of giving you five rather than three. Yeah, no, that's all right. Um, I just want to say thank you so much for your time. I know you're a very busy man, uh, a man with an incredible past and lots of letters after your name, so I really appreciate your um, your time and your energy. No, no, thank you very much. Keep up you know, the good work. I mean, I love your, love your books and uh, your recipes and, uh, and the job you're doing, so congratulations. Oh, thank you, Pete. That's very kind of you to say. All right, have a great day, Peter. Stay safe. All right, thanks, Scott. Terrific. Yeah.